we're going to work on tonight or look at tonight is to look at an overall theme of Sefer Shoftim. Sefer Shoftim comes after Sefer Yoshua. Now, what I mentioned about Sefer Yoshua, one of the things that I mentioned about Sefer Yoshua last time, and I showed you in the, in the Devre HaChamim, Devre Chazal, that originally, the only books that were meant to be given to Yisrael were the Hamishah Humshe Torah and Sefer Yoshua. And Sefer Yoshua is because of Knesset Satar. Do you remember this? Okay. Which means that already Sefer Shoftim is a response to failure. Right? In other words, when I say the only books that were meant to be given was the Hamishah Humshe Torah and Sefer Yoshua was given that everything was running well, Klal Israel were following what they were supposed to, the Brit between them and HaKadosh Baruch Hu was functioning, there would be no need for any other of the Sfarim. Sefer Shofetim is already extra. And that means that Sefer Shofetim is a response to failure. And there is almost no book in the entire Torah, in the entire Tanakh, that has such consistent and constant failure as an integral part of the book. So it's very well known that there is a cycle that Sefer Shofetim uh, runs with over and over again, to the point that the Sefer itself tells the cycle. It says, this is how things went for the next over 300 years. So from the death of Yehoshua until the crowning of King Shaul, of Shaul Amelech, is over 300 years, yeah? And that's, I mean, consider that. That's a significant amount of time, right? Where, you know, the British Jews are in this country for about that, that period of time, right? More or less, yeah? So we're talking about from the 17th century until today. It's a long period of time. There's a lot can happen in that time. And we're essentially saying that this is the period of, of what we call the Shoftim. And the cycle is as follows. Klal Israel, B'nai Israel, Da'am, they follow Abu Dazara. They get distracted. Why do they get distracted? We're going to look at. What's the problem? But they get distracted. They follow Abu Dazara. HaGadosh Baruch Hu gets upset. He pulls away. He delivers them into the hands of the Goyim of whom they are worshipping Abu Dazara. The Goyim bother them, subjugate them, persecute them, cause them all kinds of problems to the point that all of a sudden then they remember really who should they be talking to, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They call out to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu listens, saves them from the Goyim that are oppressing them, sends them a savior, usually in the form of a shofet. Now we have to understand also what that system is. What is this shofet? Why is there a shofet? Yeah. We can talk about that, right? But in the form of a shofet, the shofet is able to either liberate, fight a war, deal with the problem, get the people back on track and focused. The shofet rules, leads for a particular period of time. It changes. It could be anything from a few months to 40 years, right? There's all kinds. And the truth of the matter is there's very colorful shofetim during this time. We have all kinds of personalities, yeah, that are leading B'nai Israel at this time. We have uh, Dvorah, Aneviah, right? She's a, a woman. She's a prophet. She's leading B'nai Israel. She wages a war. She kills Israel. I mean, she, she, she's very powerful. And what does it mean that she's the Shofetet? Again, we'll have to talk about that. You have people like Shimshon Agibor, right? Shimshon, this is, you know, a power lifter. He's, he's picking, you know, gates of a city up and carrying them. 
These are not our run-of-the-mill Gedolei Ador, you know, that you would imagine in the Gedolim cards. Yeah, these are not the people that, that you normally... It's a very interesting period of time. Yeah, very interesting. Yiftah Gil'adi is the son of a, of a, you know, a woman who's not supposed to be his mother. All kinds of issues. It's a very colorful time. And what happens is, is that the Shofet runs things for a while until the same thing starts to happen. B'nai Israel go after Avodah Zarah. They're handed into the enemy. They suffer. They pray to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu said in the Shofet. That's the cycle. And it's the whole book. Now, there is one line that is repeated towards the end of the book, but it really is, what happens with Sefer Shofetim is that the, 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 these, uh, <coughs> how should we call them? These severe stories, heinous even stories, are told at the end of the book that according to our Mesorah, Chazal say really happened early in the period. But they're put at the end of the book to close the book. And they begin and end with the following pasuk. Over and over the pasuk is brought. Bayamimahem. In those days. En melech b'Israel. There was no king in Israel. Ish hayashar be'inav yaseh. Each man did what was upright in his eyes. Now it's very important to recognize. It doesn't say each man did whatever he wanted. doesn't say that. doesn't say, right? It doesn't say that. It says, Which means that each person did what they thought was upright. Which does mean that people during this period of time, 300 years, right? And give or take, were searching for what was right. And it also meant that, why is it preceded with Bayami Mahem En Melech B'Israel? What does one thing have to do with the other? En Melech B'Israel, Isha Yashar Because what would it mean if there was a Melech? Right? And this is very important because the trajectory of the book, this is the first thing that we have to get, right? Is we are moving towards Malchut. In Sefer Shofetim. We are moving towards monarchy. And the monarchy means that there is a unified, there's a united kingdom, right? Essentially, there is a united kingdom. And at this time, in Sefer Shofetim, there is no kingdom and it is not terribly united. Everybody's doing their thing, there is no cohesive whole. Right? So that's very important for us to remember. Very important for us. And that is essentially sets the theme for the situation over here. So that, coupled with what I said earlier, that this book shouldn't have been written if there was not failure, means that Yehoshua left things unfinished. The book of Yehoshua does not end with a bow on top of it. And everything's, you know, clear and, and sorted. It's not sorted. One thing that happens at the end of Sefer Yoshua, which is astonishing, we mentioned this last time, is HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Yoshua, He says, Yoshua, 
אתה זקנת, באת בימים, you've grown old, you have come of days, which we saw last time was a problem. That's not a problem when it says it with Abraham Avinu. Ve'avraham zaken ba'bayamim, right? That's a pasuk that we say ve'avraham avinu. And on that parasha, we read about David HaMelech that says ve'amelech David zaken ba'bayamim. That's why we read that Haftarah, because it's, that's similar, right? They're old, they've come of days. But those are compliments to Avraham and David HaMelech. They have lived a full life. They are elders, and they are wearing all of their days. For Yehoshua, it's not a compliment. And he's the only other one of whom it is written. Zaken Babayamim. Why is it not a compliment for Yehoshua? Because the way that we are introduced to Yehoshua is Yehoshua binun na'ar. Right? Yehoshua, this is when, in the Torah. Yehoshua binun na'ar. Yehoshua binun was a youth. Chazal say youth, he's 50 years old at the time. What youth? Youth was, this was how Yehoshua was. He was exciting. He was ra'anan. He was always enthusiastic and rejuvenated and so on. For HaKadosh Baruch Hu to say to Yehoshua binun na'ar, zakanta, bata bayamim, was not a positive. Chazal recognized that. And what does he say after that? It's an opening, right? He's opening a dialogue, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Yehoshua, saying, zakanta, bata bayamim, your na'arut, your ra'ananut, your youth, your enthusiasm is dissipating. That's the next line that HaKadosh Baruch Hu says. And the land is still left exceedingly unconquered. What does that mean? Well, that means that there are plenty of other nations. That's plenty goyim. What does the word goy literally mean? Nation. Right? There are plenty goyim. There are plenty other nations inhabiting the land that have not been taken care of. So you, Yehoshua, there's been a laxity in the Kibush Haaretz. Even though he spent 14 years in the Kibush Haaretz. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is calling him on that. And at the end of the book in Yehoshua, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, it's not going to be good. You've left the land. There's been a laxity. There's been a, 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 a leaving of things. And there are people left in the land that are going to cause problems to Israel. Didn't every time? Not with Yeshua, no. With you, you're right. Afterwards, with Yeshua, there was a charge. Get rid of the Goyim. That was the rule. Right? A hundred percent. They knew. That was the task. You're supposed to get... Either, you, you, either they su- submit themselves to you and they serve you, they become part of the thing, or you get rid of them. But they were not allowed to be koret berit They could not establish a covenant with any of the people there. That's why the givonim, there was a whole problem with the givonim. The givonim pretended that they were from far away. They made a break. There was a whole problem. They never went away, the givonim. It was a huge problem for Klal Yisrael. That's the ending of Sefer Yehoshua. So I want, before we start to talk about Shoftim proper, let's have a look at what HaKadosh Baruch Hu says in the Torah. That's why I want you to have a chumash if you don't have the pages. But you have the pages, it's This is Bemidbar Lamid Gima. 
And HaKadosh Baruch Hu, through Moshe Rabbeinu, right, is talking to the people and saying, look, this is how it's going to be for you in the land. Vehorashtem etaaretz. You shall inherit the land. Vishavtemba. And you will live in it. I've given you this land to inherit. Now it's interesting. He doesn't just say, I've given you the land. I've given you this land. You take it. Right? It's on offer. You must take it. And that's what means, right? It says in the Pasu. Come in, take, inherit the land. So that means that the inheritance is not passive, it is active. It means that the people need to actively engage in taking their inheritance of the land. As we mentioned last time, how did the land get divvied up? Lottery. I right? spoke all about the lottery last time. Each to its families. For the greater Shvatim, they should have larger land. For the smaller Shvatim, they should have less land. Each according to the numbers and populace. Right? Each one get his portion, the area in general of the land, and then you draw the borders based on the, the size of the, of the Shevet. And then there's this. If you do not inherit the inhabitants of the land, which means if you don't go out and get this land, which means you're going to have to wage war and engage and so on and so forth, those that are left, that's what totirumehem, right? Those that are left, they will sting you in the eyes. And they will poke you in your sides. Which means they're going to be a problem for you. You will not simply sit securely and steadfastly. They will always nudge you. Right? Sound familiar, right? I mean, it's very, very much. That's what I'm saying. They're going to be a problem for you. Then they're going to cause you distress. Tsar literally means they're going to oppress you. Right? They're going to narrow, make your living narrow in nature. On the land upon which you are living. Right? And this is, of course, it's so godlike to say this. HaKadosh Baruch Hu always uses these kinds of lines. He says, oh, and what I wanted to do to them, I'll do to you. Yeah? Like the way that I wanted to rid the land of them, the way that I was ready to bring you in and give you triumphant standing, I will do to, them, to you instead of to them. I will rid you. You'll go and they'll sit. Okay. Well, it's very midah kenegin midah, right? Very, very uh, action-proof. So the reason I'm reading this with you is because this is essentially the opening lines for Sefer Shoftim. Because when HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Yoshua, right? Zakanta, bata bayamim, you're lax, Yoshua. You've grown old. You are no longer the nar that is ra'anan and fighting to be able to go borish. And the land is left to inherit. And you have not done so. And you're dying. That is what gives birth to Sefer Shofetim. Because what is left is a nation that is living now with foreign entities 
and influence, and they are a fledgling nation. Right? They are not uh, seasoned, mature, developed people yet. They are young, inexperienced, vulnerable nation. They have just begun to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Yes? They've just started. And so, of course, there are going to be natural influences that are going to affect them psychologically, emotionally, socially. We are a social species. Like the Rambam says, I mean, the Rambam wrote this 900 years ago. Now everybody's, of course, saying that. They recognize that we're social animals and we're very influenced by those around us. The Rambam 900 years ago said in Sefer and Hilchot Deot, Derech Briato Shel Adam. The nature of a human being is Liot Nimshach Bedeotav, to follow in his attributes, Ahar Shechenav Reav. Around, uh, to follow his, his neighbors and his friends. That's what people do. So what does the Rambam say? The Rambam says, if you're concerned about bad influence, guess what you should do? Move. And if there's nowhere to move, live on your own. <laughs> That's what the Rambam says. Okay, so we know that we're social animals. So what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is saying is, if you're going to leave these people around, they will affect you. And Yehoshua has not taken them out. He's dying, and yes, even though during Yehoshua's time, the, the nation was completely devoted to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They, they saw the Nisim in the Midbar, they came in and saw the, the uh, amazing things that HaKadosh Hu did for them there. Yehoshua was a strong leader, it was all very fresh. But it starts, how does, the, how does Sefer Shofetim start? Sefer Shofetim starts with the following Pasuk. Similar to the Pasuk that Yehoshua begins with. Right? The same way Yehoshua starts, What Chazal say, is always, There's a regression. So if Yehoshua is dying, there's a bad regression. And the regression is to a state in which there is vulnerability to the nations around us and how it is that they're running. So the cycle of Shofetim, as I said, was following the Avodah Zarah, being oppressed by the Goim, that's why it says, right? Here, exactly. They're going to poke you in the eyes and the sides and cause you terrible oppression. It's exactly what happens throughout the entire Sefer Shofetim. They remember, of course, that the one they really need to rely on is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It never goes away, right? They never leave him. They just play. They, they just dabble, right? In other things. And HaKadosh Hu doesn't like that because he says, I'm, not, I'm a jealous God. I'm not letting you go out and do that, those kinds of things. You're with me or nothing. So then that happens. They call HaKadosh Hu, a shofet is sent, they save them, and so on and so forth. That's a cycle. So we recognize that that's the case, but remember the second part of it, and the second part of it is no king, no kingdom, no unity. And this time, everybody is doing what is upright in their eyes. So there is a certain level of chaos, a certain level of independence during this time. And yet, what is so important to see and know when reading Sefer Shofetim is, how does it culminate? How does it culminate? I'm asking you, how does it culminate? I told you. With a king. With David Amelech, ultimately. 
So it's very interesting that this terrible problem, right, this book that was not supposed to be written if there was no failure, a book that chronicles regular cycles of failure, end up in tikkun. You follow the trajectory, you don't expect, if you're betting on this and watching it in the interim, how is this going to end up? They're going to fail. They're going to fall apart. But what ends up happening is not that they fall apart. What ends up happening is David HaMelech. So we must understand what, what, what happens. How does that happen? And that is what I'm suggesting is the entire theme of the book. And it's very important to understand. So it's important to understand Yoshua as we saw, to understand the transition of Yoshua, and then understand how it is that this moves. Okay. So before we go into this bit from the Gemara that I have you, I want to read you from Sefer Yoshua itself, what Yoshua says to them before he dies. So now Yoshua is dying. Okay? And it's very interesting because he opens his words saying to them, Aniza kanti bati bayamim. Which is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to him, right? So at least he's admitting it. He goes, look, I'm old. I've come of days. And then what does he do? He tries to give them a pep talk before he dies. Because he knows this. He knows what Moshe told them. Moshe says, you're going to have trouble. If you leave those goyim in that land, it's going to be trouble for you. So Yeshua is trying to do what he can before he dies to try and keep the energy going with the battery, right? Whatever it is. And he says to them as follows. Okay, let me read it for you. First he says to them, I lost my page. Ken, Ken. Ken. So he says as follows. And he's a kanti bati bayamim. Beatem reitem et kolash is in perik kaf gimal of Yoshua. You saw with your own eyes what HaKadosh Baruch Hu did to all the nations around you. So he's using evidence. Right? He wants him to remember this. Yeah. See, he says, right? See this in front of you. He says, you see, I got rid of all these nations. So he's looking, he's focusing on the positives. Look at the nations that we did get rid of, right? Those guys. And he says, but the ones that are left, HaKadosh will help you get rid of them. Do it. So now Yoshua is saying to them, don't be lazy. Don't, because I'm dying and things are changing, just relax. Because what happens? When you have enough, you can, people tend to settle, right? As long as you've got enough room to live and they've been pushed out again enough and we can build a wall or whatever, enough, enough. It's fine, we can relax. We can go back. We can go back about our lives. And what Yeshua is saying is no. He's saying you guys have to be very strong about this. A, lishmor ve'la'asot et kol ha'katu b'sevet Torah Moshe. 
Do everything that's written in the book of Moshe, in the Torah. Number one, do not veer from the book of Moshe's Torah, right or left. Hold it. So that's the first thing he says to them. Saying, conquer the rest of them and hold fast to the Torah. That's what Don't let the goyim that are left come into you. What does that mean? You better watch your associations and social interactions. Do not mention their gods. Don't speak of them. Don't swear by their gods. Don't serve their gods. Don't bow to their gods. Now already, you know when you tell a little kid, don't do this, right? They're going to do it. That's a big problem. But Yoshua has to say it. And why is Yoshua saying it? Because he knows. And he wants his voice to be ringing in their ears when they do all of this. Because they do this again and again and again and again. And he knows they're going to do it. He wants them to hear his voice telling him not to. Because he knows it's happening. Only by God, Lord your God, only to him you cling. Like you've done until this day, which they have. There's been no Abu Dazara all the time of Yoshua. He's dying now and he's worried. And if you do that, God will get rid of major, major nations in front of you. He'll, he'll, he'll wipe them all out. Be very careful with your souls, he says, with your spirits. To love God. So these are very powerful words Yoshua is saying before he dies. He's making no qualms. He's being very straightforward, but he's also very sensitive to what might happen. And then he says, if you don't do this, you should know God's going to pull back. And he's not going to get rid of these nations for you. They will, be, they, will be, they will ensnare you. They will be traps to you. Again, exact same words as, you, as, as Moshe uses. They're going to be stinging in your eyes. They're going to be poking your sides. Until you are thrown off of this land. You will not be able to stay on it. Now listen to this. Very, very interesting how Yoshua ends it. He says, I now am dying, basically, Yoshua says. You must know in your heart and in your soul that there's not one thing that God said He would do that He did not do. You've seen it all. So what He's saying here is the evidence is there. Know it in your heart. Know it in your soul. Don't mess up. I'm dying. And then he goes through a whole thing about their history. We have some of this in the Haggadah. He, wants, he goes, I want you to hear, I want you to remember where you came from. And where you started. Terach, Avi Avraham, They worshipped other gods. Avraham's parents. Avraham's grandparents. And look at you here. How you are today. 
and what HaKadosh Baruch Hu has done for you. And he goes through a whole history. And at the very end, he says to them, Vayomer he says them, He says, everybody is witness today. You chose God to serve Him. There was no coercion. There was an agreement on your part and on His part. You chose. And all of the nation answered Him and said, we're witnesses to it. We testify. We've chosen. Unbelievable. Because Yahushua says, if there's anybody that's not on board with this, tell me now. Right? Because that is what... Okay. And they say, He says again, Now take out any foreign gods from within you. Anything that you might have. Any thoughts that you might have. Any... Get rid of it. He says to them. And this, after this big pep talk that he gives them, there's a huge rally. Everybody's in fervor, you know, with the whole thing that Yahushua said. They all say to him, We will serve the Lord our God, HaKadosh Baruch And we'll listen to his voice. Yahushua establishes a covenant. Another covenant. And Yahushua dies. And what happens? Sefer Shoftim happens. That's what happens. So how does that happen? Right? So the important thing to recognize, first of all, how does this happen, is these are things because of the nature of human beings. It's like Yom Kippur. You know, you're in the Ilav Yom Kippur. You've been through the entire day. I mean, if it matters to you, you know this in the Ilav Yom Kippur. You're there the entire day. It's a spiritual and uplifting day. You've come to this beautiful, this, this shul is packed, right? Everybody's gone through the whole entire thing and you feel like, I can do this. I can do this. I'm changing tomorrow. I'm doing, the, I'm, I'm moving, I'm going to keep it. Yeah, and then, uh, okay, it doesn't hold all the time, right? And then you're back the next Yom Kippur and you're feeling, okay, but that's the human condition. That's why you need Yom Kippur every year because it's not, you don't just do it once. It's, this is the way that we are. It's like, so the way that we kind of live our lives is, as we say, is, you know, one step forward, two steps back. And that's what's going on here. So it's very interesting. Take a look at the papers if you see. Avodah Zarah, Kafei. Rab Shmuel Bar Nachmani Amar Zesefer Shofetim. What does it mean, Zesefer Shofetim? I'm, I'm picking this up in the middle of a discussion in the Gemara. The Gemara is having a discussion. It says, Sefer HaYashar. It refers to the Sefer HaYashar, the Nevi'im. They say, what is this Sefer HaYashar? Sefer HaYashar literally means the book of the upright, the book of the straight. So they have all kinds of opinions. Some say it's Sefer Bereshit, because it says, Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov are, are Yesharim. Balak says, Tamot, Nafshi, Mot, Yesharim. Who are they? Avraham, Yitzhak, One opinion is, Rav Shmuel Bar Nachmani, Ze Sefer Shoftim. He says, that's the book of Shoftim. Seems a very strange sefer to call the Sefer HaYashar, right? This is the book of the straight and the upright when there's constant Avodah Zarah going on through the, the 300-year cycle. He says, because it says, In those days, In those days, no king, everybody was doing what was upright in their eyes. Which meant, and this is Rushmul Bar Nachman, he is saying, there was a search for what was Yashar. 
It was a very unguided search. It was a very chaotic search. It was a bunch of trial and error. But the motivating element of the time was Yashar. They were look, looking for what was Yashar. Very interesting. So that's, that's what goes on. And it happens with a lot of kind of falling in the wayside. Have a look at the next Gemara, which is also a major thing that tells us about Sefer Shofetim. And the time of the Shofetim. It says in Baba Basha Tedvav, Amar Biochanan, what is this pasuk? This is the opening of pasuk for which sefer? Who knows? Not shoftim. Which sefer is that? It's the opening line of what sefer? Correct. It's Megillat Rut. Boaz. Boaz was one of the shoftim according to Chazal. Ivtsan, the shofet, Chazal say was Boaz. So it says, this is a story that happened b'nei shefot shofetim, which simply means in the days that the shofetim judged. So Chazal say it's a double, it's a double usage. Right? Could have just said, vahi b'nei shofetim. But it does say, b'nei shefot shofetim. In the days that the judges judged. So there's a bit of a redundancy there. Leave it to Chazal. Chazal never leaves something like that without dealing with it. And they say, what does it mean? B'nei shofetim, shefot shofetim, dor sheshofet shofetav. It says, you know why it says Shfot Shofetim? It's not that the judges judged. It's that they judged the judges. Meaning it was a time in where nobody was safe, essentially. It was a time in where there was such a decentralizing of authority that everybody, based on the Gemara, again, based on the Gemara that we just saw in Abu Dazara, that everybody's trying to look for what's upright, that there was a great deal of confidence that people had in saying, you know, we're going to figure this out. So you're the judge? Who said you're the judge? Maybe I'm the judge, which is a very Jewish thing to do, right? But to what level was it like that? It says that the, the ambience, the nature of that era, which is a three-century era, right, in various modes, but the overarching nature of the era was... If a person said, uh, no, it should be ben shinecha, not ben enecha. It's a mistake. If a person said, you know, you have uh, something in your teeth, you put it on the teeth, they would normally, they wouldn't respond, thank you very much, sir. What they would respond with is, tol korami ben enecha. You'll take that, that wooden, wooden plank out from in, uh, uh, in between your eyes. I would call it in America a two-by-four. You call it two-by-four here? No, because we use still imperial measures. Right? So take the two-by-four out from in between your eyes, which is essentially saying what? You're telling me I have a problem. Your problem is three times bigger than my problem. Right? Yeah? It's the pot calling the kettle black, essentially, is what it is that they're saying. A person, you'd say, say to a person, you know, your silver is turned to dross, they would say to somebody. All of your wine is full of water. What is it saying? It's saying there was no central authority. There was no overarching establishment of this is what it is that we do and this is how the leader leads. The nation was in a state of trial and error and disarray trying to find their way. So you can ask, well, what kind of, how does a nation come out of that? And yet I'm pointing out to you that it ends with a malchut. It, for all intents and purposes, ends with a mashiach. Because what is mashiach if not a melech mashuach? David Amelech says, he refers to him that, himself that way, because he had a problem, David Amelech. 
David, when he became king, remember, the crown is not enough to establish authority. You need to earn the authority that comes with the crown. So David became king, but the political environment at the time was that his cousins, the B'nai Tsuruya family, right? He had, a, he had an aunt Tsuruya. So her kids, right? And they're only called after her because she was part of the royal family. So her kids, Yoav bin Tsuruya, you might have heard, right? They were very powerful in the nation because they were generals of the army. The people respected them. They were veterans in the leadership. They were part of the establishment. David was a shepherd, right? He also, he, got, he killed Goliath. That was his claim to fame. But he was coming in through the ranks. He was an unknown. So people, so there were people advising him, saying, you know, you have to beef up. You know, you have to be a bit stronger and establish yourself. And he says to them, Adain rach aniu mashuach melech. He says, I'm still soft and just anointed king, right? But the king is Mashuach. The king is anointed. It's what we call a Mashiach. So what I'm telling you is, this crazy time <laughs> ends with a Mashiach. That's the whole book, which is fascinating. Because if we were writing the story, it's not how we would write the story of a Mashiach coming. It would be much more organized. Right? It would be much more, you know, Shomer, Torah, Mitzvot. It would be more like Yahushua was asking them to be. But what we learn from this book is something that's very, very, very important. And that is, the strange thing about how a Mashiach comes is not an organized, special, step-by-step ascendance to the throne, but chaotic, two steps forward, one step back, trial and error, judging your judges kind of situation. The question is why? So the first thing, before we answer why, the first thing is to recognize that this sefer is a very important sefer to teach us about how it is that we deal with lack of clear leadership, lack of clear organization, chaotic developments, trials and errors. How do we deal with those things? So there is precedent. And if what I'm saying to you in any way sounds familiar to the nature of how it is that our world is running, at the very least, at the very least, should give you hope that even though it doesn't look like things are moving in the right direction, one never knows. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't just leave things to fall apart. And as it says in the Navi later on, one of the most important lines, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to the people, he says, I want to be clear here, God says. Let's get one thing clear. I don't think like you. As much as you think I think like you, and you talk to me as though I think like you, I don't think like you. And being that I don't think like you, your ways are not my ways. I don't do things like you either. So when you think that things should go in a certain way and things should follow a certain trajectory and a certain pattern and a certain order, you know, but it's not how I do things. I don't do things like you. And I don't think like you. It would, be, it would do you well, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to us, to remember that. 
And it's not yours to be able to follow exactly how it is that I'm running everything. It's yours to be able to be faithful to the relationship that we have and the breed and covenant that we have that I will bring you there. You be good. That's all. Yeah? So it's very important. So I want to read a very tough piece with you. Okay? This is an important piece and it's one of the most important pieces because it's, it's you know, you leave it to Chazal to say the hard things. But they say something very hard about Sefer Shoftim. And that's brought in the Tanz Beliau. So have a look at this Midrash. Now, before we read a bit of a background, there is a story told at the end of the book of Shoftim that we refer to as Pilegesh Begiva. I'm not going to get into the details of the story. It's really not a great story. There's a lot of bad stuff in it. I will say to you, if you're not familiar with the story, it is almost identical to the Sodom story in Lot. Except that it occurs... The Sdom in the story is the Shevet Binyamin, which is terribly difficult to, to realize, right? That the, the role of Sodom in the story told in Sefer Shofetim is not Sodom, it's our own Shevet. It's Shevet Binyamin. And they essentially act as the people of Sodom act. And worse. And worse because it's not shut down with God blinding everyone and getting everybody out of the city. It's played till its furthest conclusion. And it's there where it says, So now Chazal want to deal with this. How on earth? So what ends up happening? The rest of Bnei Israel of the Shvatim, go to war with Binyamin because they are outraged that it, things could get to this point in Klal Israel. And they end up killing 70,000. It's a civil war. And the rest of the Shvatim end up killing 70,000 people in the Shevet. And they make sanctions against marriage with the Shevet Binyamin. It's a huge problem. Interestingly, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the Mashiach comes out. The craziest thing about this is Shaul HaMelech is the one that comes. The first king of Israel comes to Shevet Binyamin. The weirdest thing in the world. But don't think that that's just haphazard. It's not a haphazard thing. So take a look at what Chazal say. They say, "V'shem etamar otan shivim elef shenehergu begivat binyamin." You know, you might ask, say Chazal, why? What caused seventy thousand people in Shevet Binyamin to be killed? And obviously, when they're talking here, they're not talking about the immediate causes. They're talking about what are the the early uh, causal aspects. That, that developed into this, this situation. Well, say Chazal, this is what happened. Well, to be honest, say Chazal, the Sanhedrin that was left by Yehoshua and Moshe and Pinchas it's their fault. Now remember it says it's left by them. So Moshe, Yoshua, and Pinchas left a leadership that failed off the bat. Essentially Chazal are saying. And that's also connected to Yoshua himself. Zakanta. So now you haven't conquered the people? You haven't conquered the other nations? What did you do before you died? You gave a pep talk? You know, Chazak Baruch on the pep talk. 
But what should have happened? What does that mean? It's a poetic way. It's like in English we say, gird your loins. What does that mean, gird your loins? In the old days, people wore robes. They wore long kind of things. Gird your loins meant lift the robe and tie it around your waist so you can run. Right? Get ready to move. That's what gird your loins means. And that was a term that was used in the Nevi'im. Right? Ezor motnecha meant tie well around your hips, which meant to lift your, your, your robes, tie them well around your hips so that you can run. Right? Using the word barzel. Yes. And it's saying it should be with barzel. Why? That it should be held well. Right? Don't use flimsy string. Tie it with barzel because you're going to need a lot of strength to be able to do this. And do what? What was right for the Sanhedrin to do? To move. In other words, rather than sitting in Shiloh, in their sanctuary or in their courtroom, waiting for people to come and bring their cases to them, the Sanhedrin should have gone all, they should have traveled around all of Israel because there was a tremendous requirement of chizuk at that time. They should have gone to all of the cities. Yom echad lelachish. Yom echad lebetel. Yom echad lechevron. Yom echad lirushalayim. They should have spent a day in every city. They should have visited every town in the country. Vechen bechol mekomot Israel. They should have gone to every town in Israel. Israel and to teach Israel what? Derech Eretz. Not just, not even Torah. Right? That comes after Derech. Teach them Derech Eretz. What does it mean teach them Derech Eretz? It doesn't mean uh, you know, how to say hello to people and be kind. Derech Eretz means to teach them this is how we need to live in this land on a daily basis. They needed, essentially what, it, what they needed to do was to c- civilize and settle the people in the land. Because remember, the majority of the people did not live in cities. What, where did people go after, after Yeshua died and nobody was waging war anymore? What were they? They're on the countryside. Right? We're, we're not used to that as Jews. I'm going to say this out loud. It's very important. Jews don't live in the countryside. Jews live in cities. And usually big cities. Why? Because that's where Shul is. That's where we're able to set up our community. We keep together. We don't scatter. We've done that throughout all the generations. Very rarely do we live in the country. Where do we live in the countryside? In our own country. <laughs> so you go to Israel, and you've got people living out in the boondocks, right? We're just not used to it. You know, you're used to being Tel Aviv, Yerushalayim, whatever. Meanwhile, they've got Jews living all over. There's farms. And all. Why? Because it's not about a community anymore. Right? People tell me many times, they, they, they make Aliyah, can't tell you how many times people have told me this. They make Aliyah. I talk to them, uh, you know, a few months in, a year in. Oh, no, how's it going? Oh, it's very nice, Rabbi, but there's no community. Of course there's no community. You're a citizen of the country. You've never been that before. It's our country. Right? This is where this is where it's home. You can live wherever you want. Yeah? That's why Chazal say, it's a, it's a crazy, another amazing Gemara. Chazal say it's better to live in a city, Rubogoyim, 
in Eretz Yisrael. It's better to live in a city that is majority Goyim in Eretz Yisrael than to live in a city majority Yisrael outside of Eretz Yisrael. Why? Because at least this is your country. There's all kinds of caveats with that statement of Chazab, but they say it nonetheless. So where did people go after Yeshua died and nobody's waging war? They're living out in the country. Who's there? Nobody. It's, as it says, Ishtahat Gafnovi, Ishtahat Tanato. And what, what the Chachamim are saying was, there should have been a concerted effort of the central judicial system of Israel to go to them and help them. So they didn't do that. And it says, why should they have done that? That's a very major thing to say. You know, you teach them Derech Eretz, and what would that have done? It would have sanctified and made HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name great in all of the worlds that he created. Why? Why? Very simply, why? Because if Am Yisrael is living Bederech Eretz in their own land, that's the goal. You have, an ama- you have a breed between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and this Am Nivchar that are living well and strong. Only good can come from that. And it failed. And so it's saying, Vehem lo asuken. But they didn't do that. Rather, when they came into the land and finished the wars with Yoshua, everyone said, They all sat in their vineyards and under their trees, and their fields, Shalom nafshi. Ah, I can relax now. Relax now. Why? They didn't want to have to exert too much. They spent 14 years fighting. It was time for peace time and relax and so on and so forth. Indeed, though, the Hachamim said in the Mishnah, Don't spend so much time working your fields and doing all of the business. You do need to learn. You need to learn Torah. Now, it's very important. I want to pause here for a minute. It doesn't say everybody should sit in kolel for, for, forever. It's important to understand that. I'm not making a statement for or against. I'm simply saying that's not the point of Chazal here. Why are they saying that you have to learn? Because as Chazal say, There's no mitzvah to be a tamir chacham in the Torah. There's a mitzvah to do the mitzvot of the Torah and the And in order to be able to do them, you need to be chacham. You need to know them. It's required to learn them. So Talmud Hakam is a person who really understands and knows them. And it's very important. So Kalal Yisrael needed to spend time learning. They didn't. They didn't. And they needed to spend time being Shval Ruach, which means that the more that they learned, the more they would understand and understand their goal in life and their, their, the reasons for their being. And then they wouldn't have followed so easily the Avodah Zarah and the other Goyim and so on. They would have had a very strong sense of identity that after the death of Yoshua was terribly vulnerable and needed to be supported. We learn a huge amount from this just in terms of what it is that we need to do in terms of... Yeah, of course they did, but it was the hard way around. Okay? And then what ended up happening? It got to the point that you had literally... 
a Saddam situation in Shevet Binyamin. That's how bad it deteriorated. To the fact that they felt that they could do this. When they did these ugly things, and things that were not fit to be done at all. destroy the entire world at that time. How horrible that his own nation should come to this level. He destroyed Sodom pretty badly. Why did I give them Eretz Israel? I gave them that they should be able to engage in Torah. Why to engage in Torah? As it says in the Torah clearly. Why Torah? That's your wisdom and your intelligence amongst the rest of the world. It's what lets you be you. If you don't learn and understand, how are you supposed to be able to live appropriately? That's why learning is so important. Okay. Amazing thing that it says over here. See, it says, Even if they didn't learn, even if they were just good human beings, even if they had normal derech eretz among them, still, you know what would have been happening with them? As it says in, in, uh, in Vaikra, five of you would chase after a hundred and they'd run away from you. That's, I would still be with you. We just had derech eretz. Not Sodom Amora. hundred of you would chase ten thousand. That's just if you are living good, whole human lives. We'll work on Torah. I still would do that for you. So this is huge. And what is it saying? So look at the very, very, very end. Umi harag kol ele. At the very end, right? The last three lines. So who killed all of those people after all of this development? Heve omer lo harag otan ella hasanhedre gedola. Who killed them? The Sanhedrin. Only Chazal could say that. But that's what they say. Who's ultimately responsible? That's fascinating. So now we have to recognize a few things, right? And I'm recognizing, I'm conscious of the time, but you'll give me 10 minutes. One is, which means, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is locked in like we are. Lo yitosh Adonai Amo, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will never leave and forsake Israel. Nahalato lo yazov, he will never forsake us. But it doesn't mean that everything is going to be well and strong and developed. Because if we pull back, he pulls back, and things will get to where it is that they need to go. That's not a question. But it will be chaotic and difficult and painful and oppressive, and the learning will happen through trial and error, which is another way to learn. It's called the school of hard knocks, right? That's, that's what happens. The reality is that more often than not, that's how it happens. So it's important for us to be able to approach the Sefer that way, and to recognize it in its broad sense, right? What led to the Sefer being written in the first place? to the times of the Sefer following the way that they did, and to where do they end? 
So it's the Yehoshua and Moshe and the laziness and the lack of conquering and the lack of assertion of establishing ourselves well and strong from the very, very beginning and keeping that momentum running for the vulnerable development. There's a missing of that at the beginning, but also remembering that where it does end up is Mashiach. And for us, I believe there is no Sefer that is more applicable to our times now than Sefer Shoftim. Because it's, uh, look at what's going on out there. It's all over the place. It's all over the place. And still, you're going to ask any one of them, anybody, you pick any Jew, and they're going to tell you, I'm doing not what I want to do just because I want to no, This is what's right. Okay, shkoyach. Whatever it is, it's not just political correctness. You're going to ask, you're going to ask a, a Satmar Chassid, right? You're going to ask him, what is the right thing to do? He's not going to ask him, why are you doing this? He's not going to say, because I want to. Because I feel like it. This is the right thing to do. I'll prove to you why it's the right thing to do. You ask a reformed Jew, right? What are you doing? They're going to tell you. This is what's the right thing to do. And I'll prove to you this is the right thing to do. Right? Okay, shkoyach. So you say, well, he's proving, I'm proving, we're proving, they're proving. Whatever it is, at the end of the day, en melech Israel. That's the whole point, right? Everybody's asking Mashiach, Mashiach, Mashiach. What is Mashiach? It's Melech, Melech Israel, Melech Israel. So, it's important to be able to recognize A, what brings us to this. Very important to recognize. And B, where's the trajectory going? Which is very important for the ultimate hope of the people. One must never forget that. Because that has been proven over and over and over again in history. Casualties? Oh, you bet. Oppression, difficulty, persecution? More than we care to have. But we're here. And we're still going. And there's still a trajectory. And the interesting thing about the nation of Israel, about the Jewish people, is that our future is still left untold and uncertainties as a people. We, we, we recognize that that's part of what it is to be us. So who are these shoftim? I said, right? We have to understand who are these shoftim. The shoftim are the heads of the court. Which means that until a melech comes around, how are we governed? We're governed by the Supreme Court, by the Chief Justice. Which is fascinating. It's fascinating. That means that essentially at the core, right, when we're running on our own, right, when we're trying to figure things out on our own, what is it that holds us? Law. The fact that we can self-govern with the law of the Torah and we understand how to be able to engage with it. So the, the leadership of Israel for the majority of this period of time is the chief justice. Who is the chief justice? It's very interesting people. I mean, Vora Neviyash, she's the chief justice of Israel. She's the head of the Sanhedrin. You understand? The rarest of things. I mean, it doesn't happen all the but there you go. She's judging. He, she, shofetet. She's paskining. Who's the shofet? Shimshon. Right? These are the people that we've that, that got heading said. Not only that, Chazal point out. There's not a Shevet that didn't have a Shofet throughout these times, right? Every Shevet at one point or another had a, had a, had a Shofet. So that means that the core of us, at the, the most important thing for us at the end of the day, is the Sanhedrin. And that is why today that's the one thing that's different. 
Today, that we don't have. We don't even have that. And that's why, at this point, it's, it's, it's worse than the time of the Shoftim in that regard. Because what do we pray for every single day, three times a day? They didn't have to pray for that. They had their Shoftim. They got into trouble. They prayed for another. Which was wonderful. Does he send us a Shoftim? No. There's, there's rabbis. That's not this. Remember that the Shofet is a governmental official, right? The government is the head of government. Because the core of government is the judicial system. A Melech Israel, by the way, even the Melech, can be tried by the Sanhedrin. There's a balance of powers. And the Melech Israel can be called by the Sanhedrin and put on trial. Why? Because in Israel there is only one sovereign entity, and that's the Torah. That HaKadosh Baruch gave us. And even the king is subject to it. In every other country, the king is above the law, not part of the law. So it's very important that if there is one thing that we are missing that is different than this time, there's others, but the major thing that's different, right? It's similar in many, many, many ways. But there's one major thing that we're missing. And that is the Shoftim. And because we don't have that, you know what we say in the tefillah? Take away from us this, this, this sighing, this agony. Why? Because we're stuck. Because we can't live in a responsive and developing Torah as we would if a Sanhedrin was around. So we literally pray for this three times a day. We don't pay attention to what we're saying. But think about it. We're asking for these shoftim to be able to come back. But okay, good. It should be. Right. Do you want them? You can have them. Right. So, so that's the point. Right. There can be all of these these protests and democratia, velo democratia. It's not about democracy. It's not about democracy. Democracy. You know, Benjamin Franklin. I'm an American. I'm American. Right. But I'll tell you. Benjamin Franklin said a very important thing. He said, only a virtuous people can be free. What does it mean a virtuous people? What Chazal are saying, Derech Eretz. You want freedom, you have to be able to live free responsibly. If you're not able to live free responsibly, democracy is not a good thing for people. I'm not making a statement about what should be in Israel now or not. I'm not. I'm simply saying, these things sound nice but they are much more complex than people give them, uh, give them uh, you know, opening for. Uh, so it's, not, it's also not a free country. Well, that's a very interesting question. I was talking to Rav Asher Weiss, Shlita. Yeah? Very interesting question. And Rav Asher, I was, I was talking to Rav Asher about, about halachic issues today, modern situation halachic issues. And he said... He goes, we have to be very concerned about how do you run a country based on halacha as it is today? How do you have a police force on Shabbat? How do you, how do you have a, a general infrastructures in any modern country with the halachot that are, that are... And what was his point in that? His point is that not, okay, we can't do it. What he's saying is, hashiva shoftenu kevarishona. In other words, we don't even realize what we're missing by a lacking of a Sanhedrin. So you say, okay, everybody's over halacha. 
The whole country is over halacha. Okay, so now let's say everybody wants to keep the halacha. Yeah? How are you going to run a country? Oh, so now you have to realize we need a Sanhedrin. Why? Because we have to make decisions that we don't have the authority to make without a Sanhedrin. So we need to have a Sanhedrin. But nobody cares enough. That's the whole point. There's beautiful Midrash, which I'll paraphrase and then we'll end. Uh, can, what is it saying? Kadosh Baruch Hu, uh, in the in the Nebiim, after the destruction of Beit Hamikdash, the destruction of Beit Hamikdash, it says that they otim asu, that Bnei Yisrael moes, they moes in, in the Melech, they moes in the Torah, moes in Kadosh Baruch Hu. Moes literally means that they were disgusted with it. They, they didn't want to have anything to do with it anymore. So what does it say in the uh, what does Chazal say about that? They say it's going to stay that way. Until Bnei Israel get to a point in where they ask for them to come back. We're not at that point yet. But it's close. It may be another 200 years until we get to that point, which is a small amount of time for, for our people. It's a blink of an eye. You, oh, oh, after everything I tell you, they're going to survive. What, are you kidding me? After everything I said, I failed. The whole thing is a failure. The whole year is a failure. You have to have imunah. Because the truth of the matter is, is that we shouldn't be here now. The fact that we've survived to this point is a nes galui. It's not a nes nisa, it's nes galui. Not asur, I'm telling you, reasonably, why? And like you see, here we are, in Elstree, for goodness sakes. What are we doing here? Well, not not. Here we are. It's very important to remember that. So the inyan, right, that we have to remember is we really do need a Sanhedrin. And we really do need the Shoftim. And this current situation, this is not going to run anymore. And as Rav Asha said, Rav Asha's point was, if we think about it realistically, we have to deal with some very major questions that nobody's dealing with because we're turning aside because the Chiloni were doing it. So <laughs> worry about it. But if we were all going to be Shomer properly, good luck in running the country. And maintaining security and how we're supposed to Zelo Pashut. Yeah? Okay. So in any case, I don't know if we have another one. We're supposed to do Sefer Rachim, but I'll see when we reschedule it. But I appreciate the time. Lovely to be able to spend the time with you. Thank you for coming and sharing. Thank you. And for Goel. Amen.